Hello and welcome to episode six of Jungian Ever After, a podcast about fairy tales through the lens of Jungian analysis. I am your host, Raisa, and joining me as always is my co-host and Jungian analyst, Dr. Adina Davidson. How are you feeling today, Adina? All right. I think both of us are a little tired. It's been awfully gray and rainy here in Cleveland, Ohio the last six months or so. Not everything's all right. How about you? Suffering a little seasonal affect. I think we're pretty ready for springtime and summer to begin in earnest. But we have a story that I was not initially excited for. I also didn't realize that it's probably the longest of the stories we've done so far. And that is Hansel and Gretel. This is a story that I knew about, but never really put that much thought into. I feel like it's one that people know some of the vague details. Two kids get lost in the woods, find a house made of candy, I think is the modern interpretation, where they get the better of a witch who tries to eat them. But apart from that, I basically knew there was something with breadcrumbs and finding their way back home. Didn't really know the other details. What about you? What sorts of knowledge did you have of this story going in? I also had forgotten a lot of the details of the story and had only remembered the emotion and the feeling that I have around Hansel and Gretel is dread. And I, even if I remembered nothing about it, I remembered this sense of dread and this idea of children lost in the world. And I think that the reason that that feeling stuck with me, even though the story didn't, is because Hansel and Gretel plays to our deepest fears of abandonment. It's all about that part of us that knows that we will die if we have no one to care for us. At the same time, I think Hansel and Gretel is more than any of the other stories that we've talked about so far, a story with a path to resilience. It tells what happens to psyche when the worst thing does happen to us, and yet we survive. Yeah, it's kind of odd, but somehow I'm not actually sure I knew that the children were abandoned before reading this story, just that they got lost in the woods. Both of us forgot or never knew certain chunks of the story like I mentioned earlier, is much longer than I would have guessed. But we're talking around a lot of the stuff to not spoil anything, so I think we should just dive right into the reading. Hansel and Gretel, from Household Tales by Brothers Grimm. Hard by a great forest dwelt a poor woodcutter with his wife and his two children. The boy was called Hansel, and the girl, Gretel. He had little to bite and to break, and once, when great scarcity fell on the land, he could no longer procure daily bread. Now when he thought over this by night in his bed and tossed about in his anxiety, he groaned and he said to his wife, What is to become of us? How are we to feed our poor children when we no longer have anything even for ourselves? I'll tell you what, husband, answered the woman. Early tomorrow morning, we will take the children out into the forest to where it is the thickest. There we will light a fire for them, 
and give each of them one piece of bread more. And then we will go to our work and leave them alone. They will not find the way home again, and we shall be rid of them. No, wife, said the man. I, I will not do that. How, how can I bear to leave my children alone in the forest? The wild animals would soon come and tear them to pieces. Oh, thou fool. Then we must all four die of hunger. Thou mayst as well plane the planks for our coffins. And she left him no peace until he consented. But I feel very sorry for the children all the same, said the man. The two children had also not been able to sleep for hunger, and had heard what their stepmother had said to their father. Gretel wept bitter tears and said to Hansel, Now all is over with us. Be quiet, Gretel, said Hansel. Do not distress thyself. I will soon find a way to help us. And when the old folks had fallen asleep, he got up, put on his little coat, opened the door below, and crept outside. The moon shone brightly, and the white pebbles which lay in front of the house glittered like real silver pennies. Hansel stooped and put as many of them in the little pocket of his coat as he possibly could get in. Then he went back and said to Gretel, Be comforted, dear little sister, and sleep in peace. God will not forsake us and he lay down again in his bed. When day dawned, but before the sun had risen, the woman came and awoke the two children, saying, Get up, you sluggards, we're going into the forest to fetch wood. She gave each a little piece of bread and said, There is something for your dinner, but do not eat it up before then, for you will get nothing else. Gretel took the bread under her apron as Hansel had the stones in his pocket. Then they all set out together on the way to the forest. When they had walked a short time, Hansel stood still and peeped back at the house, and did so again and again. His father said, Hansel, what art thou looking at there and staying behind for? Mind what thou art about, and do not forget how to use thy legs. Ah, father, said Hansel, I am looking at my little white cat, which is sitting up on the roof, and wants to say goodbye to me. The wife said, Fool, that is not thy little cat, that is the morning sun which is shining on the chimneys. Hansel, however, had not been looking back at the cat, but had been constantly throwing one of the white pebble stones out of his pocket on the road. When they had reached the middle of the forest, the father said, Now, children, pile up some wood, and I will light a fire that you may not be cold. Hansel and Gretel gathered brushwood together as high as a little hill. The brushwood was lighted, and when the flames were burning very high, the woman said, now, children, lay yourselves down by the fire and rest. We will go into the forest and cut some wood. When we have done, we will come back and fetch you away. Hansel and Gretel sat by the fire, and when noon came, each ate a little piece of bread. And as they heard the strokes of the wood axe, they believed that their father was near. It was not, however, the axe. It was a branch, which he had fastened to a withered tree, which the wind was blowing backwards and forwards and as they had been sitting such a long time, their eyes shut with fatigue, and they fell fast asleep. When at last they awoke, it was already dark night. Gretel began to cry and said, How are we to get out of the forest now? But Hansel comforted her and said, Just wait a little until the moon has risen, 
and then we will soon find the way. And when the full moon had risen, Hansel took his little sister by the hand and followed the pebbles which shone like newly coined silver pieces and showed them the way. They walked the whole night long, and by break of day came once more to their father's house. They knocked at the door, and when the woman opened it and saw that it was Hansel and Gretel, she said, You naughty children, why have you slept so long in the forest? We thought you were never coming back at all. The father, however, rejoiced, for it had cut him to the heart to leave them behind alone. Not long afterwards, there was once more great scarcity in all parts, and the children heard their mother staying at night to their father. Everything is eaten again. We have one half loaf left, and after that, there is an end. The children must go. We will take them farther into the wood, so that they will not find their way out again. There is no other means of saving ourselves. The man's heart was heavy, and he thought, It would be better for thee to share the last mouthful with thy children. The woman, however, would listen to nothing he had to say, but scolded and reproached him. He who says A must say B likewise, and as he had yielded the first time, he had to do so a second time also. The children were, however, still awake and had heard the conversation. When the old folks were asleep, Hansel again got up and wanted to go out and pick up pebbles as he had done before. But the woman had locked the door, and Hansel could not get out. Nevertheless, he comforted his little sister and said, Do not cry, Gretel. Go to sleep quietly. The good God will help us. Early in the morning came the woman and took the children out of their beds. Their bit of bread was given to them, but it was still smaller than the time before. On the way into the forest, Hansel crumbled his in his pocket and often stood still and threw a morsel on the ground. Hansel, why dost thou stop and look around, said the father. Go on. I am looking back at my little pigeon, which is sitting on the roof, and wants to say goodbye to me answered Hansel. Simpleton, that is not thy little pigeon, that is the morning sun that is shining on the chimney. Hansel, however, little by little, threw all the crumbs on the path. The woman led the children still deeper into the forest, where they had never in their lives been before. Then a great fire was again made. Just sit there, you children, and when you are tired, you may sleep a little. We are going into the forest to cut wood, and in the evening, when we are done, we will come and fetch you away. When it was noon, Gretel shared her piece of bread with Hansel, who had scattered his by the way. Then they fell asleep, and evening came and went, but no one came to the poor children. They did not wake until it was dark night, and Hansel comforted his little sister and said, Just wait, Gretel, until the moon rises, and then we shall see the crumbs of bread which I have strewn about. They will show us our way home again. When the moon came, they set out, but they found no crumbs, for the many thousands of birds which fly about in the woods and fields had picked them all up. Hansel said to Gretel, We shall soon find the way. But they did not find it. They walked the whole night and all the next day too, from morning till evening, and they did not get out of the forest, and were very hungry, for they had nothing to eat but two or three berries which grew on the ground. And as they were so weary that their legs would carry them no longer, they lay down beneath a tree and fell asleep. It was now three mornings since they had left their father's house. They began to walk again, but they always got 
deeper into the forest, and if help did not come soon, they must die of hunger and weariness. When it was midday, they saw a beautiful snow-white bird sitting on a bough, which sang so delightfully that they stood still and listened to it. And when it had finished its song, it spread its wings and flew away before them, and they followed it until they reached a little house, on the roof of which it alighted. And when they came quite up to the little house, they saw that it was built of bread and covered with cakes, but that the windows were of clear sugar. We will set to work on that, said Hansel, and have a good meal. I will eat a bit of the roof, and thou, Gretel, canst eat some of the window. It will taste sweet. Hansel reached up above and broke off a little of the roof to try how it tasted, and Gretel leant against the window and nibbled at the panes. Then a soft voice cried from the room, Nibble, nibble, gnaw, who is nibbling at my little house? The children answered, The wind, the wind, the heaven-born wind, and went on eating without disturbing themselves. Hansel, who thought the roof tasted very nice, tore down a great piece of it, and Gretel pushed out the whole of one round window pane, sat down, and enjoyed herself with it. Suddenly the door opened, and a very, very old woman, who supported herself on crutches, came creeping out. Hansel and Gretel were so terribly frightened that they let fall what they had in their hands. The old woman, however, nodded her head and said, Oh, you dear children, what has brought you here? Do come in and stay with me. No harm shall happen to you. She took them both by the hand and led them into her little house. Then good food was set before them, milk and pancakes with sugar, apples, and nuts. Afterwards, two pretty little beds were covered with clean white linen and Hansel and Gretel lay down in them and thought they were in heaven. The old woman had only pretended to be so kind. She was in reality a wicked witch who lay in wait for the children and had only built the little house of bread in order to entice them there. When a child fell into her power, she killed it, cooked it, and ate it. And that was a feast day with her. Witches have red eyes and cannot see far, but they have a keen scent like the beasts, and are aware when human beings draw near. When Hansel and Gretel came into her neighborhood, she laughed maliciously and said mockingly, I have them, they shall not escape me again. Early in the morning, before the children were awake, she was already up, and when she saw both of them sleeping and looking so pretty with their plump red cheeks, she muttered to herself, That will be it dainty mouthful. Then she seized Hansel with her shriveled hand, carried him into a little stable, and shut him in with a grated door. He might scream as he liked, that was of no use. Then she went to Gretel, shook her till she awoke, and cried, Get up, lazy thing, fetch some water, and cook something good for thy brother. He is in the stable outside, and is to be made fat. When he is fat, I will eat him. Gretel began to weep bitterly, but it was all in vain. She was forced to do what the wicked witch ordered her. And now the best food was cooked for poor Hansel, but Gretel got nothing but crab shells. Every morning the woman crept to the little stable and cried, Hansel, stretch out thy finger that I may feel if thou wilt soon be fat. Hansel, however, stretched out a little bone to her, and the old woman who had dim eyes could not see it 
and thought it was Hansel's finger, and was astonished that there was no way of fattening him. When four weeks had gone by, and Hansel still continued thin, she was seized with impatience and would not wait any longer. All Gretel, she cried to the girl, be active and bring some water. Let Hansel be fat or lean tomorrow, I will kill him and cook him. Ah, how the poor little sister did lament when she had to fetch the water, and how her tears did flow down over her cheeks. Dear God, do help us, she cried. If the wild beasts in the forest had but devoured us, we should at any rate have died together. Just keep thy noise to thyself, said the old woman. All that won't help thee at all. Early in the morning, Gretel had to go out and hang up the cauldron with the water and light the fire. We will bake first, said the old woman. I have already heated the oven and kneaded the dough. She pushed poor Gretel out to the oven from which flames of fire were already darting. Creep in, said the witch, and see if it is properly heated so that we can shut the bread in. And when once Gretel was inside, she intended to shut the oven and let her bake in it, and then she would eat her too. But Gretel saw what she had in her mind and said, I do not know how I am to do it. How do you get in? Silly goose, said the old woman. The door's big enough, just look, I can get in myself and she crept up and thrust her head into the oven. Then Gretel gave her a push that drove her far into it and shut the iron door and fastened the bolt. Oh, then she began to howl quite horribly, but Gretel ran away and the godless witch was miserably burnt to death. Gretel, however, ran like lightning to Hansel, opened his little stable and cried, Hansel, Hansel, we are saved. The old witch is dead. Then Hansel sprang out like a bird from its cage when the door is opened for it. How they did rejoice and embrace each other and dance about and kiss each other. And as they had no longer any need to fear her, they went into the witch's house, and in every corner there stood chests full of pearls and jewels. These are far better than pebbles, said Hansel, and thrust into his pockets whatever could be got in. And Gretel said, I too will take something home with me, and filled her pinafore full. But now we will go away, said Hansel, that we may get out of the witch's forest. When they had walked for two hours, they came to a great piece of water. We cannot get over, said Hansel. I see no footplank and no bridge, and no boat crosses either, answered Gretel. But a white duck is swimming there. If I ask her, she will help us over. Then she cried, Little duck, little duck, dost thou see? Hansel and Gretel are waiting for thee. There's never a plank or a bridge in sight. Take us across on thy back so white. The duck came to them, and Hansel seated himself on its back and told his sister to sit by him. No, replied Gretel. That will be too heavy for the little duck. She shall take us across one after the other. The good little duck did so, and when they were once safely across and had walked for a short time, the forest seemed to be more and more familiar to them and at length they saw from afar their father's house. Then they began to run, rushed into the parlor, and threw themselves into their father's arms. The man had not known one happy hour since he had left the children in the forest. The woman, however, was dead. Gretel emptied her pinafore until pearls and precious stones ran about the room, and Hansel threw one handful after another out of his pocket to add to them. Then all anxiety was at an end, 
and they live together in perfect happiness. Once again, we begin a grim fairy tale with a weak father faced with a crisis. This time there's a famine upon the land and he cannot feed his family. Again, we have a powerful but cruel mother figure. Her solution to the lack of food, abandon the children and allow them to be eaten by wild animals. The father whimpers a bit, but agrees. If we view this archetypally, what do we learn about human nature? I think it's interesting and perhaps a bit unfair that it's always the stepmothers who are cruel and the birth mothers who are kind. This was actually something that bothered me a little bit in watching Once Upon a Time, was that it perpetuates this idea that blood family is somehow better or more reliable than chosen family. So I guess that serves a certain just sort of consistency and role within these stories, but it's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I think if we actually look at human beings, it's a terrible stereotype, right? Stepmothers are sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes in between. Birth mothers are sometimes good, sometimes bad, and generally in between, right? But if we look at it as it's all different faces of the archetypal great mother, it's all the mother, capital T, capital M, and what Grimm and others are calling the stepmother face is one of the dark faces of the great mother. In this story, it's the abandoning. The witch actually is yet another face of the great mother. She's the devouring face of the great mother. And the birth mother tends to be the code for the positive faces of the great mother, the nurturing, the warm, the loving faces. But I think at the archetypal level, they're all different aspects of the same archetype. So this story itself, Hansel and Gretel, uncovers the deepest fears of childhood. Our parents will be cruel or they will fail to protect us from cruelty. When this happens, when our parents are either cruel or don't protect us, we are abandoned to an unfeeling world. Children cannot care for themselves by definition. And if they do not have adults who love them, they are lost. When in, in yours and mine, Raisa, look at Hansel and Gretel, I wanted to talk about a book called The Uses of Enchantment by Bruno Bettelheim. And links for that will be... In, in the posts about links. Uh, Bettelheim is actually a famous Freudian rather than a Jungian analyst, so there'll be some differences in his approach to fairy tales than the ones that we've been taking. Nonetheless, I really value his understanding of Hansel and Gretel in particular. Bettelheim says that when we're talking about fairy tales, and this is a quote, more can be learned from them about the inner problems of human beings and of the right solutions to their predicaments. They speak to the severe inner pressures that children and adults experience, and they offer solutions to these pressing problems. They offer psychological solutions. But 
I'm still left wondering, and I know you and I have talked about this, why would we read these horrifying stories and even more strangely share them with our children? So Bettelheim makes an argument for why this is valuable, why it's so important to share fairy tales with each other and especially with our children. He says that when unconscious material is to some degree permitted to come to awareness and worked through in imagination, its potential for causing harm to ourselves or others is much reduced. Some of its forces can be made to serve positive purposes. So what Bettelheim is saying is that fairy tales bring dark, unconscious material to partial, to semi-consciousness. And then in our imaginations, we put ourselves into those stories and I think this is especially true. This is Adina, not Bettelheim. I think it's especially true when we listen to the stories rather than watching. When we listen to a story, we just sort of imagine ourselves into the story. And then there's this vehicle for working through some of these archetypal unconscious difficulties. And all of these stories, for the most part, would have been told orally. So that's how they're being conveyed to everyone. It was a new thing and why they get all this renown that Brothers Grimm went around collecting all these stories from people and writing them down. Right. That's exactly what they did. They went around to the villages in Northern Europe and collected the oral tradition and wrote it down so that everybody could continue to share it. So again, Bettelheim wonders, why are the tales so dark? And I think we all wonder that. Why are they so dark? And his answer is that real life is pretty dark. Fairy tales convey that we cannot avoid severe struggles in life and in our own nature. So life is going to be hard and our internal lives are also going to be hard. And he says, and again, this is a quote, but if one does not shy away, but steadfastly meets unexpected and often unjust hardships, one masters all obstacles. For Bettelheim, that's the real essence of fairy tales and especially of Hansel and Gretel, that we're going to face terrible things. We're going to face them without being prepared for them. They're not going to be just or fair, but we can master them. We have the capacity for resilience. So, Raisa, I know you're somebody who, like me, finds stories, myths, fairy tales, anima, marvel, all of that, very compelling. Do you find what Bettelheim says about the uses of fairy tales, do you find that ringing true in your own life at all? So uh, first, let me see if I'm understanding this correctly. So Bettelheim is saying that by thinking about these things that we're afraid of, such as being abandoned by your parents, you can cope better with the hardships that we do end up facing, even if they're not exactly the same, but sort of just from having vaguely encountered them in stories? So, kind of, right? It's not, what he what he's saying is that these stories are everybody's stories. Everybody, everybody fears being abandoned by their parents. And in fact, everybody experiences some degree of abandonment by their parents. Everybody's mother takes 10 minutes too long when they were crying in the crib and they were hungry. 
you know, she was in the shower and didn't hear you. Everybody's parent picks them up from school 15 minutes after the last kid got picked up. <laughs> we all remember those terrible, I mean, really terrible feelings. I, I, rem, I am turning 60, and I remember when my mom didn't pick me up from nursery school when I was four. And I remember standing in the parking lot with the teacher and everybody else was picked. So these are all of our stories to varying degrees, right? Of course, there are also children who are horribly abused and completely abandoned by their parents. But they're all of our stories. And it's not so much that we're thinking about them, right? That's not thinking about the stories probably doesn't do us a whole lot of good. But we're sort of, as we listen to them, we sort of feel into them. And I hope that as people listen to you read Hansel and Gretel, they experience that. They experience themselves feeling into that lonely, dark walk in the woods. And the, oh, I, there is all of this food and candy and sweetness and somebody who will treat me kindly and that relief. And then that horror when she turns out to be a murderous witch and so on and so on that we really feel into them. And that gives us a chance to sort of rehearse our responses to the really terribly difficult lives that we all live in our imagination and supports that psychological growth that allows us to cope with our lives. Yeah, I think I'm not quite sure how to feel about that because on the one hand, I definitely... See what you mean regarding these fears. I had a moment when growing up, my parents accidentally went home and didn't take me with them from Sunday school. My dad was Catholic. He was at church. They just went home, forgot that I was at Sunday school. The Sunday school teacher had to take me home. And mostly it was embarrassing. But would I have been able to cope with that better having heard Hansel and Gretel? I don't know. And a lot of the stories we get these days are certainly dark, but I'm just not quite sure exactly how they relate. I mean, I guess my generation feels pretty grim about <laughs> the world, and so things like Game of Thrones or Walking Dead or, or other shows that have these sort of apocalyptic themes kind of run alongside our fears of climate crisis kind of things or, you know, a nuclear war, <laughs> sort of world-ending events. And there really is an archetype of the apocalypse that mm -hmm. feels very present in 21st century psyche, right? It's always existed. I think, you know, we can look to the Book of Revelations in the Christian Bible. We can look to uh, what's it in the, in the Norse mythology where Asgard is destroyed uh, by ice. Fimbulwinter, or, or like eternal winter. Well, and then Ragnarok. And, and Ragnarok, exactly. It is an archetypal theme that, as you say, I think because of the existential problems that we're faced with right now feels very real. But Hansel and Gretel is definitely not an apocalyptic story. Right? Hansel and Gretel is a story where you're confronted with 
possibility of your own annihilation. And through your own cleverness and strength and unknown capacities, you find your way out. And I think, I think that for me is really, really compelling and really important that that's also possible, right? That yes, we have the possibility for apocalypse and we have that as an archetypal possibility within us. And we also have the possibility for growth and development and change and overcoming apocalyptic circumstances. So, you know, Bettelheim says, again, that children are subject to desperate feelings of loneliness and isolation and often experience mortal anxiety. And again, I think that's very true. I don't think I have ever been lonelier than I was when I was lonely when I was a kid, right? Um, and a tale like Hansel and Gretel, by taking us through these feelings and teaching us that we have inner resources, helps us survive these times. It's part of what helps us make that transition into adulthood where we are still going to have times where we're lonely, but it's never going to feel as all-encompassing as it does when you're a child. We often minimize these feelings, our feelings of loneliness and isolation, both in ourselves and in our children. Fairy tales, in contrast, take these existential anxieties and dilemmas very seriously. They take seriously that we need to be loved. They take seriously the fear that we're considered worthless by the world. The love of life, the fear of death, they don't minimize any of that. And which often, I think, is what makes them feel so, like, whoa, that's really big. Yeah, I was in middle school, and I think many people get a lot of these feelings in middle school. But for me, it was just probably the loneliest time of my life. And that was before I had lost my dad. Uh, it was just, you're, you're going through these changes, and it feels like you're doing it alone, even if you have people you could talk to. I think in my case, there was probably some other stuff under the surface that I didn't register, but I would fall asleep crying at night mm. watching uh, these really sappy, uh, what are called AMVs or animated music videos that were just images or cuts from various anime. In this case, I was specifically finding romance ones set to particular music and I would just fall asleep sobbing to these romantic animated music videos because I felt so alone and I just wanted someone to love and, and who would love me in a way that I, I guess I just wasn't feeling I was getting from a parent or, you know, I just was looking for romantic love and like that's not something you get from a parent. And I think developmentally... Middle school is the appropriate place to begin to turn away from that lo love from your parent being able to fix it all. And to, okay, I need to make different kinds of connections inside myself and in my outer relationships. And all of that changes very suddenly and very abruptly. And as you said, I think for many people, that's probably the most unhappy, even if 
apparently worse things happen to us in our lives, we're still the most unhappy then. And I think that actually makes the case that it is because we grow psychological resilience out of those experiences of being so alone, which again, I think is brings us back to Hansel and Gretel. So the story of Hansel and Gretel brings tears to my eyes. The thought of vulnerable children abandoned by the people who are supposed to love and protect them. The immediacy of their probable death as a result of that, it brings up our most primal fears. As Winnicott, another Freudian analyst, says, you cannot talk about a baby. You must talk about the dyad of the baby and the parent because a baby alone does not exist. A baby alone is dead. And in our guts, we know this. We know that a human being alone, even if as adults we may physically survive being alone, a human being alone is emotionally and spiritually at risk of annihilation. This fear of being lost and alone in the woods forever is a a root of the great deal of the collective trauma of COVID that we've all been through. We've all been in mortal danger, and we've needed to face it without the presence of loved ones, of friends, and communities. Some of us have had to face it entirely alone. The people and structures that we have counted on to protect us have failed us, and we've had to resort to the most medieval protection, quarantine. I think we've all lived some Hansel and Gretel in the last two years. And in many ways, our collective parent in the government was supposed to protect us and fell short. I think to backtrack a little bit, I actually came across a very interesting perspective in a sci-fi book I recently read called The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. And in that, there is a non-human character who expresses uh, confusion regarding the value of lost potential over experience with regards to children's lives over adults. And the reason I'm backing track to this was regarding that uh, dyad of the baby cannot exist without the mother. And this is somewhat timely uh, in this that we are recording this after receiving news of the Roe v. Wade decision is almost certainly going to be overturned. And that is a large part due to this notion that the child's life is more important than the mother's. And I think a lot of the debate is where that life starts. And if you think it begins at conception, then that saving the younger life starts then. If you think it begins at birth, then it comes later. But certainly to an even more radical extension in this sci-fi book, this character is from a bird-like alien species. And so they don't consider their young ones to be people until they've achieved adulthood. So there's always a valuing of the experienced adult over the not yet a person that is a child. 
Of course, that is a very much a different extreme. But I think it's interesting to think about sort of that take. And how did it come to be that we value the child over the experienced adult when most of the time that uh, experience is more valuable to the society? So I actually also loved that book and Becky Chambers, I think, is the name of the author. Yes. Um, if anybody is looking for a fun, actually, in spite of the fact that we're, this is a pretty deep conversation, it's a pretty light science fiction read. Totally recommend it. What I would actually say, Raisa, though, is that I think in theory, we value children incredibly highly. But in practice, we are much more like Hansel and Gretel than we want to admit. The parents of Hansel and Gretel? Yeah, or the society of Hansel and Gretel, right? Oh, children are starving? Hmm, so sad, too bad. You know, children don't have the resources they need? So sad, too bad. Families are left on their own to cope with unmanageable circumstances. And I think that when families are left on their own to cope, to cope with unmanageable circumstances, they often cope by abandoning the children and sort of salvaging what they can for the adults. And I think that might be okay for birds, but I actually don't <laughs> think it's a particularly great, I don't think it's an okay model for human beings. I think that, that we have to somehow find the resources to care for our children and for the people who care for children in such a way that people aren't faced with the choice of either the adults survive or the children survive. Yeah. And this is something that I think is an interesting difference in Jewish law compared to, and I don't know if this is across the board, but my understanding is that in large part, in Jewish law, you prioritize saving the mother if there has to be a choice. Ideally, there is no choice. But say, in the example of the egg embeds itself in the fallopian tube and you have to choose who you're going to save. Yeah, I actually think that, and again, I'm not a rabbinic scholar, but my understanding is that Jewish law is pretty unequivocal about this. Until the baby is born, the mother, it is not that an unborn child slash fetus has no value, but the mother's life is considered more value. Until that entity moves from being a fetus inside the mother to a baby outside the mother, you would always save the mother first. And many traditional Jewish thinkers would say that the emotional health and well-being of the mother also comes before the fetus. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. It's a complicated view of, of this, it's, which I think is a little bit different than our dominant culture view. Let's go back to Hansel and Gretel, yeah. though. 
we're discussing this because it's top of mind. But yes, it is not our core issue here. So Hansel and Gretel, in addition to being an important story for adults, I think is also an important story for children. In Hansel and Gretel, the children try to hold on to their parents, even though the time has come for them to meet the world on their own. Bettelheim argues that this is the perfect story for a preschooler who has to let go of the comfort and safety of home and go out into the world. I would say it also speaks to the abandonment, fear, and greed in us in all ages. Also, I find it meaningful that Hansel, the older and male child, leads in the beginning. He has the idea for the pebbles and the woods that can mark their way. He is very clever, but he is still a child, and he can only envision a plan that leads them back to the place that used to be their home. As Bettelheim says, since children know they need their parents desperately, they attempt to return home after being deserted. For me, this is one of the saddest moments in the story. Even though they know their parents have tried to leave them to die in the woods, they have no choice but to go back to them. There's nothing else they can do. I think this illustrates the child or the inner child's times of greatest need and helplessness and the terror of having to depend on cruel or thoughtless or deeply incompetent parents and protectors. It reminds me of, I used to work with foster kids at the beginning of my career. And those kids had all been abandoned and abused. And most of them, almost all of them, still wanted to go home. That was what they wanted more than anything, even though their families were abusive and chaotic. Yeah, I was surprised to see in the story Hansel and Gretel constantly going back home. I suppose there is a lot dedicated in the wording of the tale to how much their father is pained by the decision to abandon them. It is clear that he at least loves them, and yet he agrees to do this thing with the stepmother. As you say, time of need, they abandon the children, even though it, it pains him. And it's really brutal that Hansel is awake and hears this conversation. He knows home isn't really home. And he knows he has no other choice. There's nothing else to do. And so then the parents do it again. They abandon them a second time in the woods. And this time the children find themselves with the witch. And she is another adult who seems like she will be a caretaker, right? She's another face of the great mother archetype. She feeds delicious food to the starving children. She gives them a clean bed to sleep in. And she speaks kindly to them. But it's all a cruel trick. Like the parents, she has no intention of caring for the children. She is the devouring face of the great mother. She will seem like she is nurturing you. But in fact, all she wants is to swallow you whole, to engulf you, to, to merge with you, to become one with you. And again, the children develop their capacity to survive. Hansel tricks the witch like he tricked his parents. He buys time by holding that bone out as his finger so that the witch doesn't realize that he's gained any weight. And in that time that Hansel 
spies for them, Gretel also grows clever and strong. She tricks the witch into climbing into the oven and fastens the door, killing the witch. She then frees Hansel and the two find the witch's jewels. The children get stuck trying to cross water. And again, it is Gretel. It is the younger feminine who comes up with the solution. Again, this shows that we can all develop resilience. Even when we feel like we are too young or too dependent, too incompetent, we all have a Gretel inside of us. We all have the baby sister who grows strong and even ruthless and pops the witch into the oven. Risa, I know you're the youngest in your family. Any thoughts about this? I don't think I have anything in terms of the ruthless. I haven't fortunately had any need for, for that. But I do have a story that sticks out for me, which is at one point when I was in, I, I believe, early high school, we went on a trip to Hawaii. My dad traveled a lot for work. He had a conference there and then extended the trip so that it could be a family vacation. And in a strange sequence of events, I think something like Kilauea or one of the active volcanoes erupting meant lava hitting the ocean, which created steam. Those clouds came over to the inactive volcano we were climbing, Mauna Loa. And we got stuck in a snowstorm during our descent of Mount Aloha. And my father had weak or damaged knees from skiing when he was younger. And so from the hardship of the snow that we were suddenly trudging through and everything, uh, my siblings had to support him and help him so we could work on hiking down this volcano. And I was, gosh, I don't know, 13 at the time, maybe. And my job was to navigate us down the mountain with nothing but those stone cairns that people put to mark trails. And it is a raging blizzard. Fortunately, we had very powerful flashlight. My dad tended to get really nice gadgets and equipment. So I probably wouldn't have been able to do it without that. But I still remember just somehow putting myself on this mission that I had to get us down the mountain. And at one point, I knew we had made a, a wrong turn. I'd somehow directed us in the wrong way. And got us to backtrack a little bit to a previous cairn and, and then make our way down. I think there was one of those towers that like flashes a red light and that helped me mm. kind of recognize what was the right direction as well. And it was the weirdest thing because I think in the moment, I didn't really think much of it. It didn't feel necessarily that impressive. I just was doing what I had to do. But I heard from other people, how proud my dad was of me in navigating us down. And, and I think that is exactly the Gretel moment, right? Where it's totally unreasonable to expect that little girl to figure this out. What the little girl experiences is, well, if I don't do this, the 
nobody else is. So I just am going to do it. And something grows in her and she can. I mean, I think that is exactly the Gretel story. Another important truth that I think is conveyed by Hansel and Gretel is that our external circumstances matter. We cannot simply transcend extreme poverty and deprivation. The story begins with really brutal facts. The parents are too poor to feed themselves and their children. They pick their own survival. This ugly truth is an archetypal truth. Inescapable suffering often makes us cruel and selfish. We are more likely to be able to be good enough parents if we have enough food, a decent dry home, and basic safety. If we do not take responsibility as a society for giving these minimum requirements to families, we hold some responsibility when the parents respond with archetypal failure to their impossible circumstances. I think this is why myself and many other young people are such big supporters of things like universal basic income or healthcare for all, because they are social safety nets that can help people have their best chance. And in many ways, we have felt abandoned by other elements of society. I think actually uh, an analogy I could make in terms of the devouring mother is this candy, this offering of, oh, you'll get a good job if you go to college. And then we went to college and we got shouldered with mountains of debt. And I'm, I'm lucky not to have debt, but many are not so lucky. And their degree is not necessarily keeping them from just having to get a job at Starbucks or something so that they can have health insurance. Right. And I think that if, again, not only do we have a responsibility to the adults, but I think we can know that if we meet our responsibility as a society to adults, to give them the resources necessary for them to make a decent life for themselves, that people are really likely to do that for their children also. But if we fail as a society, it wasn't just Hansel and Gretel's parents' failure. It was a failure of the collective. A collective, a community that leaves families at risk of starvation, particularly in the 21st century when there is plenty of food, when those families don't treat their children well, it is to some extent all of our responsibility. And I think we can have really incredible stories. Uh, you know, that community can come from anywhere. I knew a family that was you know, very committed to their church community in part because they were going through a rough winter at one point. And, you know, it was the kind of neighborhood kind of community where there's not really locked doors. And one day they came home and opened the fridge and saw there was just a stack of cash there that was the mm -hmm. money that they needed to make mm -hmm. it through. And my grandmother will always be a, a Lutheran because her community within the Lutheran church said, hey, we know that you are very intelligent and we think it would be a waste if you didn't go to college. And they all pitched in so that she could go to St. Olaf or university. And this was a time when women did not go to university so much. So I think that we need to come together as broad communities 
whatever it is surrounding, whether it's a religion, whether it's an LGBT community, whether it's, uh, I don't know, school board, that's probably not a good example, but whatever kind of community you can get in your life, you know, I think paying it forward is good in general, because you never know when you'll be in need. I think one of the things that you and I talked about is it's funny, Hansel and Gretel is one of the first stories that we're dealing with that actually has a happily ever after ending. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons is, is that it talks about how we grow into new capacities, right? Whether that's the capacity to connect to community that can support us through the hard times, or is that a purely internal capacity? I am just going to figure out how to navigate my way down a mountain, even though I have no absolutely no clue of how to navigate my way down. Somehow that resilience, that development of inner resources and connections to outer resources, which very well may come from kind of immature or weak parts of ourselves, right? Our Gretel parts of ourselves. These least developed and least respective corners of our psyche can hold the key to growth. And that can give us the unexpected strength or wisdom to get out of repetitive patterns. To me, that brings us pretty much to the end of the story. What do you think, Raisa? Yeah, it's interesting that while all of the Grimm stories we've been covering have had dark elements, this is sort of both the darkest and has the most happily ever after ending. And speaking of endings... It is time that we got into our own for this episode. Our intro-outro music is a sample of Spring Movement 1 Allegro from The Four Seasons, composed by Antonio Vivaldi and performed by John Harrison with the Wichita State University Players. You can find the full version at freemusicarchive.org, link in the show notes. And if you like what you've been hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast feed of choice, as it really helps other people find the show. This show will always be free and available to all, but if you would like to monetarily support the show, we are now using Coffee instead of Patreon. It's just a little bit easier to use. You don't have to make an account or anything, and you can do one-time or monthly donations. So that's the new place to monetarily support the show if you would like to do that. No pressure. That's ko-fi.com slash Afterward. Also, Dr. Adina Davidson is a certified Jungian analyst who offers telesessions. You can find out more about her practice at adinadavidson.com or her Psychology Today profile. We'll be with you again next month, but until then, we hope your month is filled with exploring the worlds of imagination and storytelling. Mm-hmm.